Hello, welcome to How to Be a VIP, a show about living as or with a visually impaired person. Presented by me, your host, Taylor Knockcut. This series aims to help you, our lovely listeners, see the world through our eyes. So let's talk. Hello and welcome to episode seven of How to Be a VIP. Thank you so much for all the wonderful feedback that's been coming through from you guys, our lovely listeners. We had a lovely piece of feedback after episode five, which was Insight into Guide Dogs. One of our listeners was so inspired by the episode that they've actually signed up for a sighted guide course through Guide Dogs, which is so amazing to hear that they felt, you know, so informed by the episode and they want to give something back and have signed up for that um, sighted guide course, which is, yeah, like I said, what the show is all about. It's about inspiring and educating and people sharing their stories. So, Nice little link there to Guide Dogs. This episode, episode seven, which is called Puppies, Partnerships and Poo, (laughs) is um, another Guide Dogs episode. This week, we are joined by the lovely Barry O'Toole, who is a Guide Dogs trainer who actually trained me and Jilly. And we had the most incredible time on class um, hanging out together, learning about Jilly, learning about how to work a guide dog, all that goes into the process of owning a guide dog. And it was so much fun as well as super informative being on class with Barry. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to the lovely, hilarious Barry O'Toole. Welcome Barry to How to Be a VIP. How are you today? Weary. Weary. Yeah. Don't know what lies ahead and <laughs> what you're going to start asking me. Yeah, it's um. Don't don't be scared. It's all it's all good. Right. Yeah. Well, we're basically going to find out about your story. So it's going to be you're going to tell us um, the lovely listeners about how you got into working for guide dogs, and what your role officially is and what it entails. Okay. Do you, do you want it right from the start? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was young thinking that oh being a guide dog trainer would be a cool job like I must have been about 12 or or 13 um mm-hmm. had no experience with blind people mm-hmm. didn't know anyone um but just thought that would be a cool job and I think that was because I loved dogs I always had dogs growing up mm-hmm. so um I remember just putting that in the the memory bank one for later on and uh, when I was 23 I think it was uh, or 24 I went to Australia for a uh, working holiday and contacted guide dogs in Australia mm. and they offered me a job as a kennel assistant and at the time I also got offered a job as a vet nurse in Australia so I preferred the vet nurse job i uh, done that for a year traveled a bit more and when I came back then I contacted Irish guide dogs Mm. and was looking for like a you know a, a full-time job then they told me that they'd no jobs available to contact English guide dogs yeah and that they would if I went and got qualified with English guide dogs I could come back and work in Ireland oh okay yeah so the first I went on the guide dogs website and they were looking for a, a breeding technician which is basically helping dogs get pregnant oh and my I thought, gosh yeah I was like cool get to, to help dogs have sex so that, so that was the first job I applied for um, so I flew over to Leamington Spa 
uh, or Birmingham, made my way to Limitless Spa. This is 2007 or so. Mm. Um, and these were the days when uh, I don't think I'd like smartphone with maps and Google mm. maps and all that kind of stuff. So I hitched a lift. Oh my gosh. Uh, in, in Leamington. Managed to hitch a ride to the guide dog centre. Mm. Done the interview. Uh, it was a terrible interview because I didn't know all the reproductive parts of the dog. I just thought I was just going to wing it on my charm. Um, but <laughs> I needed to know how dogs mated. Uh, and you I weren't there going, you play Barry White and you... Yeah. You know, no, <laughs> light some candles. <laughs> no, I was just like, don't just put them in a room and like leave them to it. Mm. Um <laughs> didn't get that job and the guy who worked guide dogs at the time told me um when he phoned me up to tell me I didn't get it he said I should go for an instructor role and I was like oh what's that mm. he said that's where you train the dogs and the people and then I thought oh that actually sounded like right up my street so then um the first available vacancy uh I applied for mm. and um didn't get that mm. second time applied didn't get that oh my gosh yeah I know they were, they were. I was determined to get in. They were determined not to have me. And then the third time, I applied. I knew exactly what all the answers that they wanted me to say. Mm. Um. So that's how I got the job. So it doesn't really look too favorably on me. The fact that it took me three interviews, uh, to get it. But hey ho. And when it looks like you're were really determined though. So and yeah, meant to be there clearly because you kept going back and back and back and back. Yeah, I just thought that they were completely wrong each time and not seeing my real potential. And I was like, I'm going to get this job and prove you prove you wrong. And, uh, and and that was, well, it's coming up to nearly 14 years ago now. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And they clearly love you because you were the, the face on the Guide Dog TV program recently. I'm not sure they clearly love me. I <laughs> wouldn't say that. I'd actually say someone probably described it as Marmite. Some people love me and some probably do not like me at all. And the the TV thing purely probably came up because I happened to be training two clients at that time. So, yeah. yeah. I well, mean, thanks for your compliment. Well, the, I'll take it. The thing is, like, you, I knew of you before, like, we obviously met because when I applied for a guide dog, Sophie, who's obviously on a previous episode of How to Be a VIP, she actually said to, has mentioned you to me before, like, stories. And she said, when you have class, you may have um, Barry O'Toole. And I was like, oh, okay. And that name really stuck in my head, obviously, because my dad's called Barry and yeah. you're Irish. Yeah. And it's a great name. It is a great name. It's a very <laughs> iconic name. And I remember coming back from um, like from work and I had a missed call from from you and I phoned the number and heard your voice and I was like, There's, oh, it's, it's got to be... It's got to be Barry, right? There's only it can only be Barry at all. And I remember running around my flat, going, "Ed, I think guide dogs might have a dog for me. I think there's Barry at all has rang me, and that means something." And I what, did I leave a message on your phone? Was it? Yeah, you were just yeah. like, uh, "It's Barry at all. Um, could you call me back? Thank mm. you." But it was like that. I was like, so just like no, give nothing away. And when I yeah. called you back, you answered, and you were like, "Oh, are you free to just come in?" On Tuesday, you know, just because you've been waiting a while, like completely downplayed oh, yeah. the, the whole thing. Yeah, I tend to do that. Yeah. and then... <laughs> Someone told me before, um, start off, he paints it black and then he adds splashes of colour. Oh, that's so, a really nice image. Yeah, yeah, so this woman said, like, you know, it was very, like, kind of not giving much away, a bit secretive and a bit kind of, like, reserved. And then... Mm. This, she said, like, splashes of colour start entering. And, uh, yeah, she got to know me. Uh, 
she realised what I was doing, which wasn't getting her hopes up in case it didn't work and stuff mm, like that. Exactly. But that analogy has always kind of stuck with me. So I uh, probably, um, I had some client in for a walk the other day, a couple of weeks ago as well. And mm. um, she, she she said, like, I just wasn't giving anything away. Yeah. And I ended up matching her with the dog as well. Amazing. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. That I remember coming up and, you know, walking with you and you walking through to like um the office and then you literally said to my mum, like, Oh, this is where we leave you and she like wandered off and then you literally said to me, like, So why do you think you're here? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> um, oh wow. And I was like, uh, to maybe like try out some dogs or and just and to talk because I've been waiting a while and you're like, Yeah, you're going to go on a potential walk with a dog. And I was like, what? And you're like, but don't get excited. And oh, I was wow. like... Yeah, buzzkill. And I was like, okay, okay. And I remember you made me recap all the steps because obviously I'd done the um, the, the physical test thing mm. before uh, with Graham where I had the harness and you made me go through like all the commands again to make yeah. sure I could remember like the hand, foot and vocal commands and then wandered around and then they brought Jilly out. Which was yeah. Was that with Nicola? That was with Nicola, yeah. Mm. And we did like yeah, a long walk with Jilly, and then went for a coffee. And yeah, she's still obsessed with coffee shops. Where like, did we go for a coffee that day? Do you remember? Uh, no. Oh, I was just wondering, was just, it Russell Square Garden? Maybe not. No, no, I don't think so. We went past a smoothie place. That's all I remember. Mm. But yeah, and then obviously had that matching walk with Jilly, and then. Went away on holiday to Italy like the next day and then came oh, back. Oh, it was the next day you were going away? Yeah, because I remember yeah. I had to crap. You, you were like, it says here that you're going away. Could you come in before you went? Right. That's the only indication I thought it could be a dog because I was oh, thinking, okay. why do they have to see me before I go to Italy? Yeah, what's the rush? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, then we came back and then did the, the class. And I remember thinking like, am I going to be on, yeah, on class with, with you? Because obviously you didn't train Jilly. No. But then we had our own little literally vip class where yeah. it was just us two so normally like there's the ho- going away to the hotel which i didn't do because jilly was i think was she due to qualify at a different time to other dogs there was a few reasons why i didn't do the class yeah and i was i because i didn't train jilly i had two dogs that i had trained and i ended up doing a hotel stay with both of those and mm. that was a bit earlier yeah um i think sometimes the class can be good fun because you meet other other people in the same boat as you mm-hmm. and then at the same time like having her here starting at home yeah it can also be quite nice because you're not like in the premier inn at king's cross you're in your own bed your own living room the yeah. dog can settle into your house so yeah i think it was more like just logistical but um i think for her it works as well because she's quite like a sort of quick learner and also quite sensitive with yeah. like with change and stuff so i think actually it was really good that we just kind of went hit the ground hit the ground running you're probably right yeah and also like we kind of I remember when we did the class you you said to me like we're actually getting through it quite speedily because we were just going straight into my area and things like that as opposed to doing sort of routes around King's Cross that we mightn't really do again yeah you also get a bit fed up with the food in the hotel and I know you're (laughs) I know you're a foodie oh god yeah I remember the first time you came around my house for the for the and we was going to practice um no, it wasn't the first time, but it was one of the times we were going to do free running. And you opened my fridge and was like, right, what have we got in here that might be a nice treat? And you were like, venison. venison. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. this is a normally in my fridge. <laughs> I don't normally have venison cash laying around in my fridge. But, but before we go any further, 
we did just have a conversation about how over the top you do treat chili. So you started with venison mm-hmm. and I'm looking at a bloody Christmas sack that says canine kennels <laughs> delivery for Jilly <laughs> to be delivered on Christmas Day. And there's a sack under her tree. So yeah. six months later, you still haven't moved away from spoiling Jilly. I mean, she is my princess. Like there, there yeah. is, she is called Princess Jilly Tots. That is her official long title now yeah and um but then yeah yeah. but then i mean you called me a princess when we were training i remember poor poor barry put me on the thames link oh that's right on the train yeah how i get on the train by myself yeah and you were like you're gonna be fine here's the button i wish you well yeah and it was fine and i remember thinking it was like (laughs) you know that saying one small step for man yeah one one, giant step yeah for like i remember thinking there Neil Armstrong, like, landing on the moon, similar to Taylor getting on the bloody train by herself. Yeah, literally. Uh, yeah. But no, I just was like, oh, my gosh. Because it's true. I think that that was one of the main reasons I got a guide dog was I was really nervous about public transport because, right. like, I can literally say to Jilly, find the door on the train and she'll find it. Whereas before, I'd have to listen for the door to open and go and try and find it. And, like, even, like, getting on and off, I can tell through the harness how big the step is because yeah. of her getting on and off, like... It's crazy how amazing, like, that side of things. Like, and, and actually, all jokes aside, sometimes the, the steps at the train platforms are yeah. quite big and the gap is a bit big. So, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, and, like, with public transport as well, like, with some of the dogs being... I had the first experience the other day where Charing Cross Tube doesn't have a lift or stairs and I had to have the escalator turned off. Oh, really? Yeah. Were they cool about that? Well... I mean, what was a bit annoying was the fact that I didn't know until I'd got off the tube. So I had to send Ed up the escalator because there was no station staff. He had to go up, say, can you turn it off? And then we went up. Do you know in the old days they wouldn't turn off the the escalator? You just pick the dog up and pick her up. And wrap her over your shoulder. That oh. was what the that was a that was what the deal used to be. No. Yeah. Yeah. I could not pick her up. Yeah, <laughs> she's like taller than me when she stands on her back legs <laughs> yeah well maybe Ed or between the two, two years. of you would just pick yeah. them up but yeah that's what a lot of guide dog owners you know uh, I don't know 10-20 years ago if, if they weren't escalator trained would just pick the dog up over the shoulder that's crazy mm. are there a lot of escalator trained dogs or is it more the other way I think that um, for example in the couple of dogs I've had this year mm-hmm. let's just say I've had five dogs in training mm-hmm. two I trained on escalators and three I didn't yeah and the three I didn't um I think out of those three I just felt two wouldn't really enjoy it mm-hmm. and one ended up looking at someone who didn't need them so I, I think to answer the question in, in every 10 dogs come through training I'd say it is about I don't know five or six that that maybe do go on escalators yeah and a couple that don't like it what do you think is like the hardest thing to train with a dog? Like the hardest thing for dogs to get? Or do you think it just depends on the dog? Like the hardest thing for them to to learn as a guide dog? Oh, I think um, that in an ideal world, I think if I gave a dog to someone, I'd like it to have more exposure to um, cats, but we don't get cats around central London. Yes. O- overhanging <laughs> branches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Every street around london there's no streets where like overhanging branches and trees so like um height obstacles mm-hmm. things to hang down i think it's really hard for a dog to understand oh you know they're whatever foot they are off the ground like 
two foot, three foot. Yeah. And the obstacle, you know, then the the handler is six foot and they have to make sure that the stop of something is at six foot, mm. you know, overhead. I think that's a really tricky thing to teach a dog. Bikes as well. Yeah. And traffic. Yeah. What is in like for dogs to as in navigating around traffic or bikes? Yeah, well, there's a misconception that the dogs, you know, um, help assess traffic. Yeah. The dog can't tell speeds, can't mm-hmm. tell if this car is coming at 20 or 30 kilometres an hour, and it can't tell distance. It can't work out that this car is 15 metres away and we're okay to cross right now. Mm. Dogs get in cars, go free-running cars, often stop for them at zebras so they're yeah. unsure. They'll often sometimes even go across a traffic light if there's a, a bit of excess traffic. Mm. So there's many times where they're getting conflicting messages. So I think understanding that a car is a dangerous thing yeah. is really hard for a dog. How do you communicate to your dog that if they're hit by a car, it could break their hip or damage them? You can't, and yeah. they don't understand that. If you go to India or Kenya um, or Thailand and countries in Asia or mm. South America... You see dogs over there and actually I was even in Turkey in September mm. and the dogs in Turkey, they understand traffic, they're street dogs yeah, and they know to keep off the road. Yeah. Our pampered pooches over here don't, <laughs> they really don't. I mean, I had an incident um, like a few months ago where a car did actually, because we obviously did that training before at Guide yeah. Dogs. Um with what was it Rupert yeah Rupert would have yeah. been driving and yeah the car done, and yeah. it was get, doing sort of like emergency stops with the dog yeah and I actually had an incident where again like I'm obviously guide dog you know you're taught to stand with the button box and you know cross when it's safe and like yeah. assess the traffic but I had it recently where and it was this woman was with me and she was like oh my goodness that was so uh, like very near miss but basically it was a row of shops and between the shops there's like little alleyways where obviously cars can come that live behind, you know, like the the flats above. But the way that the shop fronts were built, one sort of shop front juts out a lot more than the other. So you can't actually tell there's an alleyway beyond it. And me and this woman were walking alongside each other and this van just gassed it. Like, it should come out very slowly because obviously it's pedestrianised. It's got to go across a whole pavement and then into the, you know, it's not like a clear road. And this van completely gassed it and it was coming from my left, the same side as Jilly. And she just dived across me. Like, she she hadn't seen it. We hadn't heard it. This van was going really quick. And she just pushed herself across me. And I was like, oh my God. She, you know, it was so dangerous of this van driver who actually did apologise. So in that moment, do you think that she was just trying to move from the van? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because often you hear this like, oh, and she dashed across me to save me yeah no she obviously was like oh my god there's a van there and i just need to move out the way move herself yes she wasn't thinking i need to protect taylor yeah no she was pushing away from the van yeah towards me people think that the dog is like oh the dog just you know save me the dog yeah has has never saved anyone before (laughs) this is what this woman it was that's the thing i was like jilly's get like scared of the van knew that there was a van knew there was danger and this woman's like oh my gosh it's amazing that she, you know, saved, yeah, saved you. She doesn't because Julie has never <laughs> been educated to know that that van could have hurt you. She just yeah. doesn't know that. What the dog will do if a car drives at them fast, mm-hmm. they will stop or back up and be like, whoa, what the whoa. hell is that? Because they don't, exactly. for, for their own self-preservation. Mm. But for her to know, 
oh, mom was in danger there. Like, yeah. I, I need to save her. They, that, for me, that that's not realistic exactly. because they they just can't understand that. That's we tell people that the dog has an understanding of about a three or four year old child. Mm. Yeah. So the same way as a three or four year old child doesn't understand that a car could hurt their mom. Mm. You know, it's the same for Jilly. Like in kids, I don't know, maybe you, you know what the age group is, but I think it's like they don't understand debt when they're under seven or eight. Yeah. So they'll know that if they lose someone in their family, mm-hmm. that that person is gone, not coming back or gone to heaven. But they don't know that, they you know, yeah. they don't understand death. And dogs don't understand human safety mm-hmm. from a car because you can't convey that to a dog. And so. also, if you had it that the dog is deciding when you're crossing the road, if you're not ready or you're looking at instructions, the dog just yanks you out into the road. Like, you know, everyone, mm. that's the thing I've had the most people shocked at is when I'm telling the, her to cross. And I've had it a lot where people think I'm a trainer because yeah. I'm saying forward or yeah. I'm like telling her to find the curb and things like that. And yeah, I think people do think that the dog has a lot more say on what's happening, whereas it's like a partnership between you and the dog. Um, exactly and and so you have to assess traffic safely and the dog mm. will stop for some sort of self-preservation but generally speaking you yeah know, it's so limited i had a um dog in training one day and i was crossing the road and the dog went across <clears throat> mm. and it was heavy traffic yeah and i stopped the dog mm-hmm. and this woman the member of the public was like oh my god that's amazing she didn't realize i was training the dog mm-hmm. how that dog knew not to cross and in my head, I was thinking, you didn't bloody <laughs> know it wasn't safe to cross. I stopped her. Yeah. But, you know, that that's the, the image. But even like you were saying with the hanging, um, hanging stuff. overhead stuff. Overhead yeah. stuff. I've had a few instances with that as well. Because, yeah, like things like uh, people's like garden hedges and stuff, keeping those back. Or shop fronts as well. Mm. I've had it before, like oh, Halloween. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, the balloon. Uh, the but balloon. your bob, your hair bob is adding on about another foot to your height. Yeah, so for the listeners, I have a massive bun on top of my head, which actually has had, like, I once was walking along and, like, a fawny branch got stuck in the bun and kind of yanked my head backwards. And oh. I was like, oh, my God. It's almost like, um, <laughs> well, who would you describe that style? Like, uh, who wears a bob like that? Like a bun? Yeah. Uh, Audrey Hepburn? Yeah. She's like got a bun. And then in terms of, like... Um, the with, with with the training Sue sort of said there about things that are quite hard mm. to teach what's the thing that sort of surprises you about dogs like something that that you're always like I don't know like a nice thing that when you're training you're like oh this is so like nice to see a dog do like the <clears> highlight I guess I guess off the top of my head it's when they just start bonding really quickly with the owner mm. I love seeing it when you take them on the first day and they do a poo in the owner's garden. That just makes everyone happy. It's like, oh, you're home. <laughs> You've arrived. Um, it's weird how that just makes everyone happy. It just yeah. Everyone feels a bit more relaxed because the dog is just taking a poo in their garden. Yeah. So that's one thing I like. Um, <laughs> but just the bond. So I like it when I come along after like the second week or something like that. Mm. And the dog isn't so excited to see me anymore. And I'm like, ah. Yeah. He's he's changing to, or he or she is like shifting to the owner. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that kind of, uh, just comes a point where you can just see they're, yeah. they're going to the owner or they come over to me when I come into the house, but then they go back to the owner. So yeah, yeah just small things like that. I mean, Jilly ran up to you so excited. She so remembers you. Like she's, when we watched you on the Guide Dog programme, she went up to the telly. <laughs> when you was on the screen <laughs> and was like wagging her tail barking at you like. <laughs> nice i'll take that from jilly 
Amazing. Okay, cool. So we've come to the end of the, the episode with those two little questions I have. So the first one is VIP treatments. This is something negative that you've seen maybe a member of the public do towards like a guide dog owner, perhaps. Um, so before we've had like people say about um, members of the public being um, mean about escalator dogs. So Emily mm. had that. Um, that was her one for VIP treatment where people have a go at her or the dog for being in the way on the escalator. So, yeah, have you had an incident of something that you think a member of the public could have done differently? Uh, what is a good story for me was um, the opposite way was um, a guide dog owner was walking into work one day mm-hmm. and his dog took a poo. That's not a poo story. You um, like poo. Yeah. <laughs> took a poo in the gutter, right? Mm-hmm. And he picked up the poo and he was heading on to the tube station mm-hmm. and he picked up the poo, put it in a bag and mm-hmm. he put it on the inside of his jacket. Okay. And I was like, where, where is he? What's he doing with this poo? Because mm-hmm. inside of his suit jacket, mm. we're getting on the tube. Mm-hmm. So there was a member of the public walking ahead of me. And uh, I was like, this guy's going to catch up with the owner. Mm-hmm. So I stopped this guy and said, excuse me, mate. Can you go up to that guy with the guide dog and tell him to put the poo in the curb? Right. And the guy was like, what? And I was like, he's picked up a poo. And put it in a suit jacket. So would you just tell him? Yeah, would you just tell him to put this the poo? Like, is this guy joking? Yeah, I was like, tell him to put the poo in the gutter, right? Mm-hmm. So the guy's like, okay, sure. So he walks up to the guy dog owner, catches up with him, and I'm staying a bit back because I don't want to be seen by the dog. And okay. he says something to the guy dog owner, in which case the guy dog owner takes out the poo bag and waves it in the guy's face, <gasps> and then puts it back in a suit jacket right and then gets on the tube and i'm sure everyone on the bloody tube appreciated that morning and when he came out the other side and i met him at work and i said Mm -hmm. like what happened i told you to to put the poo Mm -hmm. in the gutter Mm -hmm. and he thought the guy had been given out to him saying did you pick up that poo oh so when he took it out of his coat and swung it in the guy's (laughs) face to show him that he had the poo and put it back in his suit um yeah he was quite uh yeah, it was it was a funny story for me. Oh my so god! So it doesn't really answer your question, but but the only thing I guess is um, <laughs> uh, that it comes off the top of my head with members of the public is uh, yeah, it's, I guess people just distracting the dog in times that is really silly, like you're about to cross a road. Yeah. Or you've literally just walked into a coffee shop. Yes. You know, just Calling just the dog. Yeah, or you know. Um, yeah, I think crossing the road. I was going to say, sometimes I've been having serious conversations with someone mm. and members of the public come up um, and start stroking the dog. I mm. think if, if they just say, sorry to interrupt, do you, do, you, do you mind if I say hello? Is it okay if I say hello? Yeah. You know, am I being, am I interrupting you guys if I said hello to the dog mm-hmm. rather than just walk up and just start petting the dog with yeah. no communication whatsoever? Mm-hmm. And a guy dog owner doesn't really realise what's going on and then a dog gets up and then suddenly there's a person just standing there stroking the dog. Yeah. So maybe that one I'll go at, yeah. Yeah, no, but, 100%. But my poo story, I, I do enjoy that one. That is actually... Ins- I, the thing is, I've just got visions of this guy going to work and saying, I had this really strange thing happen to me. One guy asked me to go and ask this blind guy if he had uh, a poo <laughs> and that he should then empty the poo he's picked up. And then I went up to him and then he waved the poo in my face. And put it back <laughs> in his jacket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the Amazing. people on the tube must have been wondering what the hell's going on, like a, yeah. a fresh dog poo. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm 
definitely had my mum's had that before she's you know been out and put the poo in a, a dog walking coat and then forgot oh really and we've been sitting indoors going what oh, is that smell oh, <laughs> and i went in the hall i was like i think you've carried a poo home with you um and what about your vip life lessons so something that you maybe have learned from vision impaired people that you now sort of take forward into your into your everyday life or something you sort of notice or appreciate or spot a lot more than maybe Ooh, you did good, good question what well, do you before. know what i do i anytime i'm seeing a, someone with a cane mm-hmm I always go up and ask them if they want a hand. Yeah. Even if they look absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've debated this for for a number of years, and I still stick to my guns, mm-hmm. is that sometimes if someone is in a train station yeah. or on a known route or whatever it is, mm. if I go up and offer them, um, do, you want, do you want an arm? Mm-hmm. They're totally free to tell me no, but sometimes it can just be a relaxation and concentration for them. Yeah. They can just take an arm and have a chat. Mm-hmm. And it might be one minute, two minutes. They might totally be fine and not need any help. Mm. But sometimes people just like taking an arm, they can relax. Yeah. They don't have to keep concentrating. And inevitably, you know, um, you can end up just having a nice chat with someone. It doesn't always have to come back to, oh, I actually work for guide dogs. Sometimes I'll just start chatting to them. I won't do yeah. even mention I'm working for guide dogs. And I just think, you know what, I've just had a nice little pleasurable interaction with that person. Mm. They haven't had to concentrate for the last two minutes. Yeah. Um, so that is one thing I stick by every time. Even if someone looks fine, I always go up. And um, I'd say off the top of my head, it's about, I don't know, 50%. People say no. Mm-hmm. People say yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it. about 50%. I've, I've had that before. And sometimes, like, you, you might be confidently walking with your cane, and I've had it before, I'm going somewhere, and then somebody will come up and ask if I need, like, need a hand or something. Yeah. And I may just go, actually, like, is so, you know, is Tesco, like, yeah. over there? Like, just checking or something Am like that. Am I on the right track? Am I on the right track? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And even something like that, just to be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm still going the right way. It's all good. Something yeah. like that is just really, really handy. But yeah, and um, definitely asking as well before grabbing because I've had that before where I've just been manhandled yeah. <laughs> by people. <laughs> Pushing you around. And yeah. sometimes the people who come up and want to offer a hand mm. have had some sort of, are a bit more aware of visual impairment or maybe mm. have slight experience with it or family member use a cane or, mm. you know, they're anti-puppy raised or, or something like that. Yeah. So it, it can often lead to a conversation like, oh, you know, my dad's a guide dog owner or blah, blah, blah. Or, yeah, often mm. lead to a nice conversation. Amazing. So, yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Barry, for being That's on the it. podcast. No more questions. No more questions. Okay. Have you got anything you'd like to add for the for the lovely listeners? Uh, favourite thing about Jilly and least favourite thing about Jilly? For me? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Seeing as you're sitting here. Oh, my gosh, you flipped it. You flipped yeah. it. You're taking the question. Okay. My favourite thing, it, I'd say, is like how much... So I, from like a guy, from like a technical perspective, I think my favorite thing is that I really trust her, and mm. I feel like we are really in sync with each other, and I really know her, and I feel like I'm really, really safe. And sort of favorite thing in like a non guide dog sense is that she's so affectionate, and I think I originally thought guide dogs were going to be a little bit like a robot. I don't yeah. know why. I just think because I see them work, see them working, and be like they're really you know concentrating yeah. and reg- regimented. But I love the fact that when she's home, she is like a pet. Yeah. And she feels like a really cuddly, affectionate pet. And I'd say Lee's favourite thing, she, I mean, is probably the rolling, but like, she's a dog. That rolling. Rolling, rolling in Fox, rolling poo. In Fox yeah. poo. 
um you know and i think she's still like uh, that's the thing she's still a dog it's a rolling and i guess with her with cats she's now her cat behavior like you mentioned earlier it's like so you can't really it's the animal instinct to like you know but she i now know her signs i call it the jilly moo she goes "Mm, mm, mm," before she sees a cat and then if there's one that walks right in front of her she will stand up like rive up on her back legs oh wow she's really keen yeah really keen she won't like pull to chase it it's a kind of like i'm riving up i'm on harness i can't chase it all i can do is lift my legs off in the air and she'll do that and move for a minute and then <laughs> nice. whereas if she wasn't on harness she'd chase yeah like so she still kind of knows she's in work mode even though her instinct is to chase the to, cat to chase it yeah yeah all right good but yeah what's your least and favorite what's your two favorite things about jilly since you trained me and her um what did you like as her watching her She's twitching as we're um talking. She knows we're talking she's, she's about actually, her. She's actually dreaming. Um, <laughs> she's all remembering that. Legs are um twitching. Yeah. Um I just thought she was very sweet natured, yeah, mm. very easy to to handle. Yeah. So um yeah, I think that just overall package. Yeah. Um yeah, I'll go with that. Go with that. Yeah. Amazing. Well thank right. you for no being worries. on the show. Thank you so much, Barry. Honestly, I had so much fun recording that episode, the amount of laughter (laughs) um, that was had during that interview. But moving on to the last bit of the show, we have Taylor's top tips. So this kind of pedals back to a point that Barry made um, in the interview about obstacles on the pavement. Now, this is something that probably a lot of uh, listeners and a lot of members of public haven't considered, but things such as garden hedges, trees, cars and bins are huge obstacles for long cane and guide dog users. So peddling back to the trees and bushes, when you use a long cane or a guide dog, it's going to alert you of the obstacles that are on the floor and up to about your chest height. So the cane um, sort of stops at your abdomen and the guide dog, Sajili, for example, if there was an obstacle that kind of reached my chest and shoulders, she would pick up on it. However, if you get to kind of like head height up, the dog isn't always going to notice an obstacle because it's quite far away from the dog's head, for example, and it mightn't always gauge that that is an obstacle that could touch your face or the tip of the top of your head. So something like a tree branch that's overhanging, as I said in the episode of Barry, I've had a few fawny branches catch me in the head (laughs) Um, or a bush kind of graze my shoulder. And I always take Jilly back and get her to reapproach it um, to, you know, to reinforce that that is something that, um, you know, she's not picked up on that has uh, hit me, for example. But sometimes it, Jilly can't do anything about it. There's literally the bushes sticking so far out that if she took me any further, I would end up in the road. So sometimes you just have to kind of duck <laughs> and go underneath the bush. So this is something that someone whose house, you know, has this large bush that's going into the road, they wouldn't necessarily know. So I'd say it's something to bear in mind if you have, you know, beautiful hedges and lovely trees. It's something to bear in mind that you need to trim them back if the pavement is particularly thin and there'd be a vision impaired person with a guide dog or a cane who wouldn't necessarily spot um, the foliage coming out onto the path. 
similarly cars and bins so again we're coming into sort of the territory of driveways now so this is where if you have quite a large car or a drive that maybe has a couple of cars and the bonnets or the boots of cars are coming slightly off of the driveway onto the pavement this is something again a cane will uh, pick up on this but I obviously don't want to be bashing people's cars with my cane but if the you know if the car is sticking out the cane is going to hit it uh, and same with the dog Jilly will walk around the front of the back of the car but again if pavements are quite thin this does mean I could be edging my way to the edge of the pavement near the road so it can be a little bit dangerous or me and Jilly will have to go single file past the obstacles of the car um similarly we have wheelie bins again this is a problem that isn't always um you know the, the fault of the person whose bin it is for example so I put my bins out I make sure that they're really tucked against the front wall of my um front garden however bin men have been known to just chuck them back in the middle of the pavement so if the bin men have been and you've seen that the bin men have been maybe take your bins in a little earlier um in case they have left them in an inconvenient place um, I do have it quite a few times where I'm walking along and if there is a bin that Jilly or my cane has picked up on, I will do my little bit for the council and I will put the bin back um, to the nearest house um, in case there's anyone else after me going along who may also um, encounter the wheelie bin. So it's just something to bear in mind um, when you have a front garden or a drive that just keeping it as tidy as possible and making sure that there's no obstacles spilling out onto the road or if they are, try and tuck them in as best as you can. Wonderful, so that's the end of the episode. Thank you so much to my wonderful guest, Barry O'Toole and we'll see you in two weeks' time for episode eight. Thanks for listening. To make sure you never miss a future episode, give me a follow, Taylor Notcut on Instagram. If you're listening to this as a podcast, make sure to like, review and subscribe as it helps other people find the show. Much love and see you next time.